Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, for something just a little different, Pastor Tim asked the congregation to choose from one of two options for this week's message. So stick around. In just a minute, you'll find out which one they picked. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim as he asks the congregation to choose their own adventure. We've got a Bible. Actually, today's a weird one. I'm just going to warn you. Today's sermon's weird. Um, we, I want to try something a little bit different today. My notes pulled up. Uh, something I've, I, you know, honestly, I've, I try to do new things over the course of, I've been doing, I've been a pastor now for about 15 years, and you try to try new things, right? Like it's, uh, for, at least for my own sake, it makes things fun and interesting and creative and new. Um, but I, in 15 years, I've, what I'm about to do, I've never done before. And so um, it could completely blow up in my face. I hope it doesn't, but it could. Uh, well, what I, but if it does, you know, there's just, it's it's. 30, 40 minutes out of our lives, and then we go on. Um, but if it doesn't, anyway, uh, what I want to do, remember the, remember the books growing up, uh, if you grew up in the 90s at least, remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure books? Remember those books? Where it'd be like you get to page 25 and then you get an option. Do you want to fight the dragon or do you want to run from the dragon? And then depending on, and, and it'd be like, if you want to fight the dragon, go to page 50. And if you want to run away from the dragon, go to page 26. Uh, you remember those books? And you kind of like chose your own adventure and then, uh, and then you'd get to the end and you'd be like, I wonder what the other paths would have led to if we would have chosen the other paths. And so you go back and you kind of reread it. Um, this morning's sermon is a bit of a choose your own adventure. So uh, I actually have, um, you know, it's the Sunday after Easter. The weather's getting warmer. Uh, it, you know, you probably had the grill out yesterday and you played outside. So I figured, you know, we might as well have a little bit of fun. Um, so I got two options for sermons for you all today. I don't know which sermon to do, so I'm going to let you choose. <laughs> and I'm being dead serious. I legitimately have no idea what you're going to choose. I, uh, two options. Option one. Okay, here's option one. We have been in the, we have been in the book of Matthew. We took a two-week break for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, um, but we, we, we can extend that break or we can get back into the book of Matthew. If we go back into the book of Matthew, the next set of stories is uh, the story of um, Jesus meets a lady who's been bleeding for 12 years. And uh, she's tried everything. She's exhausted every option she can think of. And so she goes to Jesus and she's healed. And it's an incredible story of all of the the stories in the Bible. This one, in my mind, ranks like one of my top 10. Uh, In fact, um, I love it so much that I've I've taught most of this here. If you've been at South Harbor for a a number of years now. Um, you've, you've probably heard me teach on this one, which is why I want to give another option too. But uh, I love this stuff. Uh, it was, um, I, I, I've been here since 2012, and I think I first taught this story here in 2012. It was one of the very first ones I taught here because I love the story. Uh, and then I believe the last time we talked through this story was when we were in construction. So if you're new since then, you should probably vote for option one because it's an incredible story. Um, if not, you've probably heard some of this stuff before. Um, but that's option one. So option one, an incredible story out of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, it would be more of a traditional sermon. Option two 
is a little bit less traditional sermon. Somebody, uh, the last service chose option two and they said it was a little bit boring. That's your warning. Um, that is, <laughs> but again, it's like 40 minutes out of your life and then you just say, that was really boring. Let's go eat some ham. Totally, totally fine. Um, option two is a bit less of a traditional sermon and a bit more of a, um, nobody likes these, but of a lecture. Bad, nobody likes to be lectured at, but like, there's a little bit more of that kind of a feel to it. Uh, option two is I want to I spend a little bit of time thinking about why, um, why Jesus? Why believe in Jesus at all? I, uh, I, option two has been growing in me over the last several months because I keep hearing people say things along the lines of, you know, Jesus was a really great teacher and he was a really great guy. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, do we really buy? I mean, last week we talked about the, a man rising from the dead. Do we, do we still in our modern world with our modern technology and our modern understanding of the world, do we still buy that story? Like, I, is it okay that we just say Jesus was a nice guy and not say Jesus was the son of God and all that stuff? Um, what I want to do with option two is, uh, is it, by the way, the, the traditional response to that then is, well, you just got to take it on faith. Um, but is it possible that uh, logical, rational people can actually buy this stuff and believe in this stuff? So option two, we will explore what I'll give as a, a handful of reasons. There's a lot more. Um, we'll, option two was, is relatively long, and so we'll just go until we're done or until you get really bored, and I can tell. Um, and so option two is, uh, is a, can, can logical, rational people actually believe this stuff? Okay, so that's option two. So option one Woman, woman who, uh, who is bleeding and reaches out for Jesus. Option two is, really, Jesus, do we believe this? I actually had an option three. Um, I, was, I was working really hard on an option three, and I wanted to talk about uh, cosmic constants and theoretical physics and why God. Like, do we actually believe in God? And I wanted to, but I just didn't have time to do justice to that one. So someday there'll be an option three. Um, maybe we'll do like another cutting room floor or something, and we'll, we'll like do more of these like, can we trust the Bible? What about truth? What is truth? And some of that stuff. I, I love this stuff. Um, but those, those are my options. So, so for now, I'll pull option three, but I have an option one. Uh, Matthew, woman, bleeding, 12 years, option one. Option two, why Jesus? We're going to do a simple uh, majority vote. So uh, who would prefer option one? Oh, man, this might be right on the middle. If it's like our denomination when we vote, I'll have to then now make a vote we'll to do a voice vote, and then we'll have to send it. <laughs> Option two. Okay, option one again. Some of your house is divided. I don't even know. You think two's got it? Yeah, come on, two's. Do both, yeah. You. <laughs> it's a sadist in the back of that. <laughs> Some of you are like, please don't do both. All right, option two it is. Option two. Let me go through my notes. I think it's like on, it's like slide 20, something like that. Um, option two, you asked for it. I told you it's boring, so you asked for it. Um, we'll do our best. Some of you asked for it. Some of you didn't. And then you, by the way, if you were a house divided and it's boring, you can say, I told you so. That's what I, that's my gift to you. I told you so. Option two. Um, so it's a weird sermon. It's not a traditional sermon. Typically, and I, didn't, I forgot that we're doing baptisms. And so typically, let me explain for those of you who aren't normally here. What we normally do is we'll take a scripture passage like Matthew, and we will dive deep into it and look at the context of the passage. We'll talk about, um, often we'll kind of look at each line in the language, and we'll ask the question, um, okay, what did this mean to them originally? And now what do we do with this now that we kind of have an understanding of what this would have meant to them? 
um, and try to like, drive it toward relevance. This one's not that, okay? So I wanna, like, we're not gonna dive real low. We're gonna kind of fly higher above this thing and ask the question, why Jesus? Now, um, to start this conversation, I thought, uh, let's start with uh, a question Jesus asked his disciples that I think is more relevant now than, um, than it's ever been. This question's more relevant than it's ever been. Jesus says this to his disciples. Um, who, do people, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, when he says Son of Man, he's referring to himself. Okay, so who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he said? Who do, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, uh, to get at this, okay, option two. To get at this one, we, I want to ask the very basic question, is this true? Jesus affirms it to be true, but is it true? Can we base our faith on the knowledge of this being true? And if it's true, how do we know it's true? Can a modern, uh, intelligent, um, maybe somewhat skeptical 21st century person actually believe still in a story like this? Um, or is it just a nice story? I don't need this anymore. Where do I put this? We'll put it right here. <laughs> All right. Can a, can a, uh, is this just a nice story? Um, is Jesus just a nice guy who said great things that, um, that people took uh, in the wrong way and a kind of whole religion kind of came up out of it? Um, is Peter correct or is Peter way off base? Now, um, the, the reason this has been burning in me, this, this particular one, uh, really, let me give you three reasons why I think this matters. Um, first, uh, my guess is, there are some of you who are maybe struggling to believe the story, or if you name it to yourself, you don't believe this at all. You just don't buy it. Christians are nice people, some of them, but you don't buy the story. Um, you, you would say uh, maybe, I, I think, honestly, if you ask me intellectually, I think maybe the whole story's made up. The whole thing's made up. And, um, and I want to, I, I just, I, honestly, I want to take a few moments and kind of share why I believe it, like why I think this stuff is true, um, that's the first, for those of you who are like, I don't buy it. But then there's a second group of people who I'm guessing are here who you do believe it, but there are some subtle questions that you kind of carry with you. And these subtle questions, um, it's like, your, it's like your, your heart believes it, but your mind has these subtle doubts and these doubts kind of haunt you. You believe it's true, you hope it's true, but you're not convinced it's true. And so what can happen, my experience has been that the, 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 the heart has trouble find, following where the mind refuses to let it go. And so while your heart wants to believe it, if your mind feels stuck, it can, it can really like... So for those of you who are in that spot, I just want to offer a few things. Um, and again, we're not going to have time to exhaust all of it, but a few things. Third um, is uh, believers, those of us who believe, maybe, we, maybe you've, got, you've come to peace with some of the questions that no longer haunt you. Um, but those of us who are believers, we are called to be ready to talk about this kind of thing. Like, this is the, the task. Uh, Peter, the same guy who says you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter writes a letter later, and he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. The word answer there is a Greek word, apologia. Apologia is, uh, the, a better translation is defense. Give a, give a def always be ready to give a defense. Um, it's actually a corp room word. It's the word that was used in court as for like a defense attorney. 
So be ready when somebody has questions to give the defense. Now, Peter's defense, if you read through it, it will be based on two things. Make your defense based on how you live. So your lifestyle should be its own defense. But also make your defense on who, how Jesus lived. How, know who he is. Be ready, he says. So, so um, we, we live, by the way, we live in a new world. I, here's, I could be wrong on my cultural assessment of the world, but this is my understanding, at least, of West Michigan culture right now. There is, um, there is I would say that the majority of people I meet uh, know many of our basic stories. Not all of them, but many of them. Not maybe at the level that, uh, that we would know them, but many of them. They know the virgin birth and the death and the resurrection. They know what we believe. But what I'm discovering more and more is um, the, the, thing, the, the statement, well, you just got to take it on faith. Like when people say, well, do you really believe in that? The response, well, you just got to have, just take it on faith. Like you just got to believe. You just got to have faith. Just take it on faith is no longer helpful to most people. Most people, they've heard that. They know that. Like, but like they, they want to engage in an actual conversation. And so when we come back to the questions they have around like, well, do you really believe a bodily resurrection? And when we say back to them, you just got to believe it. Just take it on faith. Um, it sounds good. And yet, like, is there more that, um, uh, Muslims have incredible faith, right? Muslims have incredible faith. Uh, Mormons have incredible faith. Uh, the, the, the QAnon crowd ha- that has incredible faith. The cult that followed, um, that believed that if they drank the Kool-Aid or whatever it was, they would ride Haley's Comet, remember that? From a, they had incredible faith. Uh, Lions fans, I'm a huge Lions fan. We have incredible faith. Um, but is our faith actually rooted in anything, or is our faith just, well, I believe it, and good enough for me. Is our faith rooted in anything? Um, and what are the odds that our faith is rooted in the right thing? That's the questions we would, maybe this is a question that haunted you. If you were raised in a different part of the world, would you have faith? Is the faith you have just because you were raised in a certain part of the world, and is there evidence, is there anything to build it on based on just, this is how mom and dad raised me, or this is the part of the world I grew up in, um, and so I believe it. Uh, that's the question. Um, now, um, okay, so it's a little bit of disclaimer. Uh, this is something we say here a lot, but I believe that it's really important as Christians that we engage our brains. Um, I believe that Christians, um, we, should, we, we could and should be accused of a lot of things, um, but one of the things we should never be accused of is being narrow-minded, because Christians should be the ones who are least afraid of truth. Right? If Jesus is the embodiment of truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says, then any pursuit of truth, um, if it's an honest pursuit, should lead people closer towards Jesus. We should not be afraid of the questions. Uh, Jesus actually, uh, or, or the scriptures actually, um, never tells us to turn off our brains. In fact, the Bible presupposes that we would be rational, logical people. Um, let me give you a couple uh, examples. Um, this is Isaiah. God says to the prophet Isaiah, Come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together. Come, let us reason. Uh, the Gospels repeatedly say that Jesus opened their minds to understand. Not, never closing their minds. He never says, like, just to shut down, quit asking questions. He never says that. It's always he opens their minds to understand things they couldn't understand. The Bible presupposes that we were made in the image of a thinking, rational God, uh, and so we are thinking rational people. Um, Jesus says this in Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your, say it with me now, mind. 
The mind, uh, the mind is meant to think. It's what it does. That's what, what the mind is there for. So when we're loving God with our minds, it's we're loving God with our thinking. Um, that's, it's the, the heart beats, the lungs expand, and the brain, the mind thinks. It's its job. Uh, the brain is a, is a, it is constantly talking. Have you noticed this? Your brain is constantly talking. Even right now, your brain is talking to you. It's telling you, like, this is boring or this is interesting. Your brain is constantly talking. If you think you can stop your brain from talking, I challenge you, uh, find a dark room. Find like a go to the bathroom and turn off the lights or some dark room and try to stop your brain from talking. Pretty soon, like three minutes in, you'll be like, I'm doing pretty good at this. Look at me. Just a yapping away. Look at you. You can do this. That's called thinking. Uh, it, it, the brain is a, is a thinking machine. What Jesus says is to align our thoughts, disciple our thoughts in line with what's true and what's true is God. So we are rational people. Um, and then last one, uh, this maybe is my favorite of them all. Acts chapter one um, says, is, we read this. Jesus, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still al- that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus clearly does not expect his disciples just to take it on, like, just believe what they believe without ha- actually having convincing proofs. Jesus understands that humans are wired, our brains are wired to seek truth. We're just wired for it. And so Jesus meets us where we're at, and he gives convincing proofs. You have to ask the questions. One of my favorite things about this church community is you all ask really, really good questions. And, uh, and, and I, I, um, if, if there's one thing I think we need more of in the world are people, Christians, asking real like, good questions, good, helpful questions. God expects us to be reasonable, rational, logical people. That's my, my first, first point. Now, um, that's not to say that uh, you don't have to act, like, that faith by definition requires us to go beyond what our brains can fully understand. That's true. Um, here's an example. Uh, when Liza and I were first married, we went whitewater rafting in West Virginia. And uh, have anybody been whitewater rafting in West Virginia? Uh, it's, it's a fun ride. Um, and, and yeah, I'd never done this before. And so I had some questions for our guide, especially because they hand you this stack of papers and you basically sign away all your rights to sue them. So as I'm signing away my rights, I've got the questions for this guy from West Virginia who's missing most of his teeth, who's going to be our tour guide. And I want to make sure that like, I'm going to come back, that my wife is going to come back. And so I've got all these questions. Now imagine if he said to me, in the midst of all my questions, you know, you just need to trust me. I'm a nice guy. Just trust me. If that was his only reason, I would probably not get in that raft. If it was just trust me, I'm a nice guy. Just trust me. But instead, he, what he did was he said, you know, this is how many groups we bring down. We've gotten everybody back. And as long as you do what I tell you to do, you'll be fine. Like, as long, like that was what I needed to hear. Does that make sense? So uh, if, if you're taking notes, this is a phrase that's been helpful for me. Faith always goes beyond the evidence by definition. The definition of faith is it must go beyond the evidence, but it shouldn't go against the evidence. Faith always goes beyond the evidence, but it shouldn't go against the evidence. Um, Now, there was no evidence prior to me um, getting on that raft that I was going to be fine. But it it was a reasonable act of faith for me to get on the raft based on the evidence. It was reasonable. Another example. um, Okay, Easter Sunday, we show up to church. Um, let's imagine you couldn't show up to Easter Sunday. So you th- you, you're not here. Or maybe you were visiting mom and dad or uh, visiting the kids. And, uh, and then you come back today and I say, hey, you missed it. Last week, Easter, 
Jared passed out in the middle of the worship set and the ambulance were here. They had to cut a hole in the roof to airlift Jared out of here. Like it was a horrible moment. Um, it was crazy. And you were like, really, what? And so then you start asking around and you talk to your friends and they say, well, I was there. That didn't happen. And you say, oh, okay. Then you talk to more friends and they say, I was there too. That didn't happen. I don't, I don't, I don't know what Tim's on, but I want some. That didn't happen. Um, and you ask around and like, that, that didn't happen. Now you have a decision to make. You can either trust the one or you can trust the 1,400. Now, for you to trust me is an act of faith in that. For you to trust the 1,400 is an act of faith in that. You weren't here. But there is a reasonable, logical, rational act of faith. And then there is the less reasonable, logical, rational act of faith. Right? To trust me in that moment would be the less reasonable option. Last example. Uh, I just, I just heard that air travel is going to quadruple in the next 20 years, um, if they can find employees, probably. But, but uh, air travel is going to quadruple in the next 20 years or so. Quadruple. That means there's a lot more planes in the sky. Um, now, um, let's imagine you're going to fly. And, uh, and you're, it, it's pretty reasonable to think that if you get on an airplane, you're going to get to your destination, right? Uh, that's pretty reasonable. It's, uh, it, we're told that it's more safe to fly on a commercial airplane than it is for us to travel on like a ground vehicle, ground transportation. So it's a reasonable act to get on a plane, even though you cannot prove that the plane's going to get you there. But let's imagine you're, get, you're waiting to get on the plane, and you see your pilot, and he's got a bottle of tequila. And he's like making his way onto the plane. And then let's imagine you see these, these guys with trench coats and you just see these, these big old machine guns and they're getting their way onto the plane. And then somebody else is out there screwing on these little blinking, little bomb looking like things on the wings of the plane. Is it still a reasonable act to get on that plane? It's still an act of faith, but faith always by definition has to go beyond the evidence, but it shouldn't go against the evidence. Um, okay, follow this. In matters of religion, especially in Christianity, um, if you believe in God as I do, if you believe in a personal God named Jesus as I do, that is an act of faith, but I want to argue that it is a reasonable act of faith. That I, I want to argue that it is in line with the evidence. Um, and uh, if you don't believe in God, that is also an act of faith. The question is, is that, a, is that in line with the evidence? Is that a reasonable act of faith? I want to propose to you that um, as Christians, we've got some really, really, really good reasons to trust what the firsthand witnesses reported to us. You may not agree. You may not think that, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. I don't, I want to just be honest. I'm not giving the stage right now to somebody who would say, this is what I wish we could do that. We don't have time this morning. Um, What I hope to do is start the conversation if you're in the space of, I don't know that I buy it. I would love to take you out for a cup of coffee. I would love to hear some of the counter arguments. I'd love all of that. Um, but as it stands, I'm going to give you my side. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, here's what we know. Here's what we know um, that very few people can test. Okay, so here's what we know. We know that in the 30s and 40s AD, in the 30s and 40s AD, there was a group of people who, who were followers of Jesus. They called themselves the disciples or the apostles who started a movement. This movement traveled throughout uh, Turkey initially and then kind of throughout the Roman Empire. But they started a movement in the 30s and 40s. Uh, by the 60s, and se- 60s through the 80s or so, um, four gospels were recorded telling the story of Jesus. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote these accounts of the life of Jesus. They recorded the story. They talked about the miracles. They said that Jesus did these incredible teachings, but they also said that he was more than that. He was the embodiment of Yahweh, the Jewish God, in human form, who died and was resurrected from the dead. That's, that was their claims. This was in the 60s to the 80s. Now, who do people say that I am? That's the question. Here's our question. Is that true? Is what they said true? Now, um, at this point, it really comes down, we have two options. Either it's true or option B, it's not true. That's exhausts our options, right? Is there, like, could that kind of half true? Those are pretty bold claims. You can't be like, well, some of that, like, it's either it's true. This was where um, C.S. Lewis, like, posed his famous liar, lunatic, or Lord. Either Jesus is a lunatic saying he's the son of God and we should, like, steer clear, or he's Lord. He is who he says he is, right? It's either it's true or it's not true. The, the middle path, I think, uh, while it sounds like it's the best, I think, honestly, it's, it, it's one that doesn't do justice to either side, right? It just doesn't do justice. So either it's true or it's not true. Now, if it's not true, so let's just say, if it's true, sell out. There's no bigger truth than this, right? If it's true, if Jesus is who he says he is, which I believe, then sell out. Give everything you have to him. There's nothing else that this decision will shape every other decision, every other decision, but if it's not true, it comes down to really two options. You have two options to believe. Okay, so if it's not true, it's either intentionally not true or it's unintentionally not true. It's either intentionally not true, meaning the disciples got together and they concocted a lie. That's when the movement took off. They made it up. We'll call this the lie hypothesis. They're liars. Or it's unintentionally not true. Um, they sincerely believe this stuff. They sincerely believe Jesus was who he said he was. But they got it wrong. They bought into, uh, we'll call this the legend hypothesis. They believed a series of legends. So that kind of exhausts their possibilities, would you agree? It's either true, then sell out, or it's not true. And if it's not true, it's either intentionally not true or it's unintentionally not true. Okay, so that's, that's the options. Let's look at theory number one, the lie hypothesis. I'm just going to go until what, 1105-ish? 1107. Can you give me till 1107? There's no way we get through most of this, but we'll go to 1107, and then we'll be done. Lie hypothesis. looks something like this. Um, lie hypothesis says that for whatever reasons, the disciples got together, and they made up a religion. They just made it up. They concocted it out of thin air. They made up the stories of Jesus. They made it all up. Now, you maybe, maybe even Jesus, they... Like they had a friend named Jesus and they liked this guy. Maybe he did some good things. And so they decided, well, let's make this Jesus a God. Okay, that's the lie hypothesis. Let's, let's just say he did all of these big things. Is that possible? Let me give you five or as much time as we have. Five problems I have with the lie hypothesis. Number one, I'm gonna go quick because this took an hour. They chose this one in the last service too, which was a bad choice. Um <laughs> Lie hypothesis. Uh, first, the lie hypothesis, this is probably the, the least interesting and maybe the most helpful. Uh, the lie hypothesis is a historical theory, and the historical th every historical theory rides or dies on the basis of evidence, and there is no evidence that the disciples were liars. Well, if that's all we had, then that's probably still pretty thin, but we have no evidence that they're liars, none. There's just zero evidence that the disciples were liars. Um, in fact, uh, there is evidence that the disciples will include things in their stories that are brutally honest. 
They're brutally honest. In fact, the disciples will tell stories about them that make them look pretty dumb, which is not something you're going to do if you're going to sell a lie, right? Like if you're going to sell a lie, you don't make yourself look dumb. Um, but they, they consistently tell stories that make themselves look dumb. For instance, Jesus teaches um, you got to love the Samaritan. Those, those are the enemies of the day. The Samaritan is your neighbor. You've heard the story of the Good Samaritan. The next story, the disciples are walking through a Samaritan village, and one of them says, hey, Jesus, should we call down fire on the Samaritans? Remember the Bill Engvall from the 90s that here's your sign? <laughs> like, that's a, dumb, that's a dumb question. That is a dumb question. Uh, another time, uh, Jesus, two of Jesus' disciples their mom meets Jesus, and mom says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can my boys be your favorite two boys and sit on your right and your left? Their mom. If you're recording a story, if you're making up a story, do you make up a story in which your mom tries to get you the job? Like, I, It's not a story you make up. Um, the, another example, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus in his, in his hardest hour. Um, he's being squeezed like an olive. Uh, he, his sweat like drops of blood from the description in the scriptures. Three times Jesus says to his disciples, I need you, would you just stay awake? It's, it's my hardest hour, just stay awake. And all three times they fall asleep. Peter gets caught off guard, cuts off a dude's ear. Get, like, they look like buffoons who can't even stay awake. Either they're the dumbest liars ever who record really unflattering stories of themselves, or they're just trying to record the story the way it happened. Here's one. Uh, they record that the first witness to the tomb was a woman or women um, to the tomb. That, in a court of law in the first century, women weren't viable. They, their testimony didn't count. Paul, when Paul is trying to convince a, a Roman world about the story, he leaves that detail out of the story. Um, but the disciples record the story. Either they're, they're bad at the game, they're bad liars, or they're just trying to tell the story the way it happened. Because that's the first piece. Second piece. By the way, all the evidence um, su suggests that they were men of great integrity and character. That's what even, even the people who want the movement stopped. That's what that they never accuse him of being liars. Second, there's no motive. Again, in any court of law, um, it, if the burden is on, is there any motive? You need a motive. Why would they, why would they make up this story? Just think about that. Why? They got, you know, if they had something to gain, uh, you, you've seen stories made up um, because there's something to gain, right? That often happens in politics. That often happens in religion still because there's something to gain. And so you make up a story and now... You're riding around in a Tesla. That's pretty awesome. Uh, but there's no Teslas in this story. There's no, there's no mansions coming on the back end of them. Make, they got no benefit in making it up. They're not going to get famous. In fact, um, story after story after story shall, shares that they will go through unbelievable suffering because of this. Who signs up for that? And it happens immediately after they start this. It's like the... the it, like the, the persecution begins right away. Um, a Roman historian named Tacitus, not a Christian, Tacitus in the year 115. Now, Tacitus is Roman. He's seen the Romans shed a lot of blood. He's a bit callous to it all. And even Tacitus says, okay, it's gone a little bit too far with these Christians. You guys are being a little bit too harsh on the Christians. In 64 AD, a guy by the name of Nero, the emperor, he would um, famously uh, light Christians, dip them in tar, and use them to light on fire to light the, his uh, public events. 
is private parties. They refer to them as Roman candles. You've heard of a Roman candle? That's the story of a Roman candle. It was horrible. Why would, there's no motive. Uh, third, there's no deserters. This one, um, there's no deserters. When the persecution starts, no one denies the story. Think about this. When the persecution starts, no one denies the story. Um, in Mormonism, uh, there is, um, they used to, Mormons will, will leverage their credibility initially. They leverage their credibility on three witnesses. They said that there were three witnesses. Do you know the story of Mormonism? This is an overly simplified version, but the idea was that the angel Moroni visited Joseph Smith and gave him these gold tablets. And three witnesses stepped forward and said, we saw it. And because there was three witnesses, um, they said, well, that's, that's enough proof. You got three people who all said they saw the angel, they saw the gold tablets, and so what Joseph Smith wrote down, we take, we take as truth. Mormons then moved to Missouri, and um, they decided, like, okay, now we want polygamy. And a uh, longer story than this again, but polygamy became part of the practice faith of, of the Mormons. The people from Missouri didn't like this so much. They decided... No, you're not welcome in our community. It was at this point that two of the three witnesses, two of the three witnesses, they weren't going to kill them. There was just, no, we don't want you here. Two of the three witnesses stepped back and said, we made it up. Whoops, can we stay here? We made it up, sorry. Um, two of the three. Uh, in um, Chuck Colson, in, as he recants the Watergate story, um, remember, you know the Watergate story? President Nixon's aides uh, broke into the Watergate Hotel to steal some secretive information. Uh, the, the, Chuck Colson goes to prison for it. Chuck Colson says that it took no more than two weeks for people, uh, for those who broke into crack. Uh, remember the name John Dean? Uh, he writes, John Dean writes in his own words that he, he cracked to save his own skin. Now think about that. That's two weeks after two weeks after Watergate. They weren't going to kill him. They weren't going to two weeks. Let me give you just. I hate doing this as a list, but I'm going to give you it fast. Um, listen to how the Christians, early Christians, die. Peter is crucified upside down. Andrew is crucified on, on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew is flayed alive. James the Greater is uh, stabbed with a sword and then beheaded. James the Lesser is thrown from the temple. Uh, Jude, also known as Thaddeus, is beaten with a club. Matthew is burned and then beheaded. Simon is sawn in half. Thomas is stabbed with a spear. Philip watches his daughters abused and killed. And then Philip uh, is also killed. If any one of them would have cracked, you better believe we would have known about it. Right? They were persecuted trying to get them to crack. Deny the story. If Christian, and if Christianity is an offshoot of Judaism, and the, to the Jews, uh, this claim that Jesus was God was blasphemy. Um, you better believe that there was a group of, of Jewish leaders who were following Paul trying to undo everything Paul did. They didn't like that Paul was uh, not requiring circumcision. They didn't like that one bit. So they were following Paul. Never once do they accuse Paul of making it up. They accuse him of, uh, they, they accuse him of doing blasphemy. They accuse Jesus. Never once is Jesus accused of, of making it up. He's accused of working for the devil. They accuse him of that. They accuse him of magic. But they never, no one ever once says he's just making it up. Um, so, and there's no deserters. Uh, for number four, countercultural dimension, some of that. Um, let's skip that. Uh, in that one. Jesus died on a cross. That's just really countercultural. And then from the cross, 
Um, the, Jesus says the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine you're making up the story. You get in a huddle with your buddies. Okay, let's say he's God. Awesome, okay, he's God. Um, then uh, let's, let's say he dies in a way that, like the most shameful way ever. <clears throat> Paul will say the cross was foolishness in this world, right? It's, this is a shameful way to die. Okay, it's not a great way to sell a story, but okay, I'll go with it. Um, now let's say from the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But isn't he God? But he says, it's a, either it actually happened this way, and I think the power in that moment is powerful. Um, but if you're trying to sell a story to a Roman world especially, this is just not what you, you, you lie about. Okay, number five. Uh, if this was a lie, it's easily falsified. It's easily disproven. <clears throat> this, is not a once in a, this is not a once upon a time story. Uh, the Gospels, it's why I love my job in teaching context so much. They, they tell stories that take place in actual communities, that take place in act, amongst actual people on the ground, that... They, um, they name 500 eyewitnesses. Many of them are named by name to the resurrection. 500, Paul says, and many of them are named. Um, but then they go around and they drop really big names. Really big names. They say things like Pilate the governor. They tell stories about Pilate. Uh, Caiaphas the high priest. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who were part of the Sanhedrin. That was like the Supreme Court of their day. They tell these stories and put Jesus as part of their stories. Now, if... They were making it up. That's easily disproven. You just call up, you just call up Caiaphas and said, hey, this, they're telling this story about you. Or Nicodemus. Nicodemus, they're telling the story that you snuck in with Jesus and like, had questions about being like, born again. Like, What's that story about? Nicodemus very easily could have said, I don't know what you're talking about. That never happened. No one ever accuses that. It's easily disproven. Put it this way. Um, it's kind of like this. Let's imagine there was a, a, a dude in Byron Center and this dude in Byron Setter decided that he was, a, he was God. He's the son of God. And he said it. He said he's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he, um, at first hand, you're like, ah, okay, yeah, that, okay, crazy. Um, but then as he begins, you start realizing this guy who's saying he's the second coming of Jesus Christ, he's now telling people and convincing them that he has done miracles. And he's got a group of people who are your friends who are leaving your church, our church, to go follow him. You better believe that if that guy existed in Byron Center, I am going to do everything I can to expose what he's doing, right? For your sake and for the community's sake, I'm going to do everything I can. If he's saying I did a miracle, I'm going to call everyone he claims to have been doing the miracles with, and I'm going to ask them to sit down for coffee and explain it. Easily disproven. No, one, no one's able to. Um, again, they accuse him of magic. They accuse him of doing it by the power of the devil, but no one denies it. All right, so that's the lie hypothesis. I don't think um, these guys were making it up. I, I don't think you can make a case that these guys were just making it up. Now, maybe you can make the case that they intend, they believed it. They believed it. They just believed something that grew into a whole religion that it was not, they didn't actually intend it to be. Six minutes, here we go. <laughs> Maybe it's unintentionally false. Maybe it's just a legend, kind of like the telephone game. If I were to start a story over here and you pass the story down, and by the time you get to the end, what I told them is a totally different thing. Um, if, you know, some of you do this with fishing, you know, you take the picture of the fish and then you put it right up by the camera. So it looks like a whale, but like it starts as like a four inch minnow and then it kind of grows into an, uh, you know, like a foot long fish. And, and then you're telling it to your friends and that fish is a whale. Maybe that's what happened with the story. Maybe, um, maybe 
Uh, this happens with a lot of religions, actually. They start small and they kind of grow into this thing. Maybe the legend hypothesis goes something like this. Jesus was a nice guy. He prayed for people who were sick. He was with people who were sick. And then the legend grew. And all of a sudden now he's healing people who are sick. Or uh, Jesus um, fed people out of his own extras. And that legend grows to 4,000 people and a few loaves of bread. That's the legend hypothesis. It just kind of grew. Okay, I think uh, it's a bit more plausible than the lie hypothesis, but I grant you not by much. Um, We'll go until, okay, four minutes. Or are you bored? (laughs) Okay. You're not going to tell me. You're too nice. You're too nice. We need some people who are not nice. Um, <laughs> we have 30 firsthand. So the first, my first, uh, I'll give you four as quick as I can. Uh, there's too much in history to confirm the biblical story. Actually, I'll give you one, and then we'll fly through the others. We have too much in, in history to confirm the biblical story. Um, there are 30, 30 firsthand sources confirming the biblical sources. 30 firsthand sources. By the way, firsthand sources... Uh, If you do history, that's all that matters, right? It's why when you read something on the internet, my first thing is, what's the source? What's the source? It's always about the first-hand source. You never just trust the second or third or fourth-hand sources. It can be manipulated. The first-hand source may be wrong, but it's a first-hand source. There are 30 first-hand sources that confirm the biblical story as it's told. Um, uh, Some, many of them are historians from the first century or shortly after uh, the life of Jesus. Guys like Josephus, Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, uh, and they support the claims of the Bible again and again. They don't always believe them, but they support them. Um, We have more sources, get this, we have more sources confirming the events around Jesus than we do that the pharaohs existed. We have more sources confirming Jesus than we do that Alexander the Great existed. In fact, most of what we know about Alexander the Great is around one source, Um, But because we think that one source was honest, we take that as history. And yet, and I think a lot of it has to do with the miracles, and that's a whole other sermon, our miracles of possibility. I think so. Um, But but a lot of people will take the stories of Jesus and say, well, that's going to be true. But more sources. um, Some of that is is in archaeology. One of my favorite areas to study is archaeology. Archaeology continues again and again. Now, archaeology, again, faith is always goes beyond the evidence, but it shouldn't go against the evidence. Um, archaeology cannot prove the existence of the scriptures or God, or, but they continue to uh, confirm many of the things that we teach in the scriptures. <clears throat> for instance, one of the claims that was leveraged against Christians for years or against Bible people for years was the Bible talks about this group of people known as the Hittites. And for years, people said, you guys are like, what do you, like, no, you guys are, you could not be more wrong. <clears throat> the Bible talks all about the Hittites as this major people group, but there's no historical record of a Hittite. They, you made the people up. You can't, excuse me, <clears throat> you cannot make up an entire group of people and expect us to believe it. You're lying to us. That was the dominant theory of these guys are just liars that existed up until about 50 or so years, years ago when archaeologists were digging and they discovered something. And then as they dug a little bit deeper, they discovered entire civilizations in Turkey um, <clears throat> that there's entire Hittite populations that existed in Turkey. So apparently, the, the Bible actually was ahead of where we were looking, and it was just, the, the evidence for it was just a few inches below the dirt. Um, how about this one? Ah, 
There uh, is a guy named Quirinius mentioned in Luke's account. Um, Luke says that Jesus was born while Caesar Augustus is emperor and while Quirinius was, was governor of Judea. Quirinius. Now, Quirinius, the skeptic said, well, we know that Quirinius was a leader, but he served later. And so Luke got the evidence wrong. We know Quirinius served later. And so because Quirinius served later and Luke says he served when Jesus was born, how can we trust anything Luke says? That was the argument up until a few years ago when we were uh, digging again and we discovered an inscription to Quirinius dated around the time of the census. Now the leading argument is, well, apparently Quirinius must have served twice or had a kid named Quirinius or there was another Quirinius, but now no one's arguing that Quirinius wasn't there during the time of the census. Archaeology continues to show us this kind of stuff. Um, Oh, man. Okay, let me just give you... One more. Um, never mind. We'll save it. Never mind. Um, we're done. We're done. You made it. You did it. There's five more points, but you made it. Uh, my, my point is faith, by definition, must go beyond the evidence, but I don't think it's an illogical leap. You have to leap. If you're not, if you're not a believer in Jesus, it's also a leap. And, uh, and I understand a lot of people are leaping away from Jesus because somebody hurt them. And I am so sorry if your story is... You trusted your heart to somebody who believed in Jesus and they hurt you. Um, but, but don't leap away from Jesus, who, who he actually can be to you, the healer of your heart, the healer of your soul. Um, faith is a leap. It is a leap. Not believing is a leap. My question is, if we're going to leap, where are we leaping? Is it in line with, with reality, with what's true um, or not? And there is no more important decision than this one. Um, it, it changes the way you uh, are a friend. It changes the way you're a parent. The way it changes everything. Um, and, uh, and ultimately, it changes, well, it changes everything. Um, if you have questions, I would love to talk to you about this stuff. Um, again, I hope this is a conversation starter, not finisher. Um, I understand that there's a lot of other questions that, that bubble to the surface on this, and I'd love to talk with you if you're stuck on this. Let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's grab lunch. Um, maybe someday we can do uh, a more in-depth study on this stuff. Um, but for now, I'm done. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> uh, Jesus, I thank you that uh, you have made us logical thinking people. And Lord, I thank you that... Uh, that you have even wired this whole world in such a way, Lord, that um, you are hiding yourself, your fingerprints are behind all of it. Uh, Lord, we pray that as we come to know you, Lord, that we would come to know truth, and as we come to know truth, we would come to fall in love more deeply with who you are. Uh, Lord, would um, ultimately, though, this not just be a head exercise, mind speaking to minds, brains to brains, uh, but Jesus, would you uh, speak to our hearts? Lord, would you remind us in a way that only your voice can do, um, something my words cannot do. But Lord, would you remind us that you are every bit as good as, uh, as those before us have professed. Jesus, we love you, and we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Would you please stand? As we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. 
And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.